Welcome to the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast, brought to you by the Amoria Bond Group. In each episode, we feature prominent business leaders and industry experts sharing their personal experiences and inspiring anecdotes of what progression means to them and insights into their specialist fields, as well as tools, techniques, and practical steps we can all take to progress lives everywhere. Hello, I'm Natasha Crump, ESG Director at Amoria Bond. Joining me today is Emmanuel Aola, Director of Fundraising at the Alito Foundation, an organisation dedicated to enabling high potential young people from disadvantaged backgrounds to fulfil that potential as the leaders and the board execs of tomorrow. In his spare time, Emmanuel is founder and chair of trustees of Grace Sustains Africa, a charity working to create sustainable change within local communities in Africa. He's also an RSA fellow and a trustee for Volunteering Matters, another nonprofit creating volunteering and learning opportunities that enable people to have a positive stake in society and tackle barriers to community participation. On top of all that, Emmanuel is a proud dad to two and a half year old Jojo. Welcome, Emmanuel. Thanks for joining me today on the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast. Yeah, Natasha, thank you for having me. And I'm going to have to steal that introduction because, you know, the way that you said that made me even think, who is this guy? I really want to meet him. But now, thanks a lot for that. Thanks a lot for having me as well. Well, Emmanuel, it doesn't even do you justice. There's so much more as well. And we'll come on to that as we go through. So, yeah, really great to have you here. And I want to start, Emmanuel, by talking to you about what progression means to you, because Having done my research um, for today, your career and your life really does largely seem to have been dedicated to helping others to progress and fulfil their potential. So what is progression in your opinion? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think for me personally, progression is all about being better than the person you were yesterday. Sometimes one of the things that can be a barrier to progression is setting our expectations so high. So we you know, look at where we are today and compare ourselves to where somebody else might be at the end of their career, at the end of their life. And then that fear of how big that gap is just stops you from even starting in the first place. So if we can instead scrap that and forget the comparison and just say, the best person I can compare myself to is the person I was yesterday. So I'm just going to try and take that little bit of improvement, that little bit of progression in whatever it is. And I think that you know these things start first, you know, with yourself as a person, family, your immediate environment, and always looking to be just that bit better, make that bit more of a contribution. And so with that being said, what drives me to progress is thinking about how I can help unlock that in other people as well. So how can I contribute to other people's progression and inspiring them to be able to push on themselves? So not so much trying to solve everybody's problems for them, but just helping them believe that they could actually be their own, their own solution, so to speak. So that's a huge driver for me. I love that answer to progression. It's actually a unique answer. The first time I've heard it answered that way since doing these podcasts. But to talk about being better than you were yesterday is a really, really lovely way to sum up progression. And I also love the way that you talk there about not comparing yourself to other people. There is so much talk, particularly at the moment when we're all talking about, you know, coming out of COVID, we're talking about what will the working life you know, a workplace look like for us all. You work day to day with with young people, high potential 
young people, the people that organizations should be scrambling for, quite frankly. How important is being open to that way of working, do you think, for organizations to attract and keep the best talent moving forward? Yeah, I think that's crucial, absolutely crucial for companies to be thinking about that for two main reasons. One is because we're seeing people are expecting to be able to bring their interests and passions to the workplace. I'm sure now people are inundated with their staff saying, I'm passionate about this cause. Can we do something to show we care? I'm passionate about this cause. Can we have some funding to run an event? People expect to be able to bring their their selves, their authentic selves, that's a term we've heard a lot, to the workplace. And that ultimately, because a lot of people are responding and saying we should be doing that, now people are waking up to the fact that if, you know, one company is not willing to, I'll go and find another. You know, there's more of a sense of entitlement, really, about where people spend their time and where people work, the feeling that if you're not going to accept all of me, I'm not going to give all of my self. And then also on the flip side, a uh, second a second reason, I think because COVID and the, the way that we've been working over the past, let's say, 14, 15 months has made people really reevaluate what's important. And so in that time, a lot of people have been a lot more family orientated because we're concerned for our loved ones, for people. We're not as concerned with the holidays because quite frankly, we've barely been able to have many. (laughs) And so some of these things, you know, exactly that. It's like, you don't even, I mean, Easter comes and you don't even recognize it. You just keep working until you realize that it's, it's a bank holiday. And you, you think, why? And it's because it's Good Friday. Like, this is what happened to me, even being as, you know, as religious as I am. So because of that change, it's really, I think, shaped what for a lot of young people they're, they're concerned about. And so it's not the things that you can easily incentivize as an employer. It's not as simple as bonuses and, and pay packages. Actually, it's now, well, what's important to you? We're going to show that as a company, even if, we, even if that's not our priority, the fact that it matters to you matters to us. And if that doesn't happen, I've spoken to a couple of people, even just this week, people who were looking to step into big business. So, you know, banking, accounting, consultancy, looked looked to step into, you know, big four, et cetera. Did that for a little bit and then thought, this isn't for me. And they were out as quickly as they came in. Now, not everyone is able to run a grad scheme that's so big that you can have all of those people come in. You only need them to stick around for two or three years anyway. And so if they leave, you don't notice it. Actually, for most companies, someone leaving within three years is a massive impact. You feel it. And so you've got to be thinking, well, what's causing people to leave? Two things. One is about the people being able to bring themselves to work is a a huge, huge barrier or huge reason for people leaving. Another one, and I'm sure we'll come on to this, is actually the lack of leadership development that young people feel they're receiving from their employers. It links to a lot of what we're doing at the Alita Foundation, and I'd love for us to come back onto that, but we, we have to be thinking about retention, especially at the early stage. I agree, completely agree. So moving on, you're now Director of Fundraising at the Alito Foundation, previously known as the Powerless Foundation. Yeah, um, wow, I, really good. <laughs> I gave a brief outline in the introduction, but did not do it justice. So can you explain more about Alito's vision and why it's so important and needed? And then we can talk a bit more about the specifics of what Alito do. Yeah. So Alito's vision is that we would have a country that is run by people who come from all sorts of different backgrounds, people that have come from extremely privileged backgrounds, people that come from not so privileged backgrounds, but the people who have been through the challenges that exist and can actually be the leaders that make change. 
So we want to change the fact that a small group of people coming from a small set of backgrounds can set the agenda for a whole range of people. We already have a very diverse country. We already have a very, I mean, especially if you're in some of the big cities, we've got extreme, you know, great diversity is one of our strengths as a, as a nation. And yet the people that make decisions, not just in politics, but also in business, not just in business, but also in media, a range of industries come from a very small set of places. And the reason for that is because those are the ones that have been given the leadership development. Those are the ones that have been trained to influence. Those are the ones that have been given the confidence to publicly speak because they've been told that their words matter and have meaning. And people from other backgrounds haven't been given that same push, that same inspiration, haven't been believed in that same way. If you come from a council estate background, you're, you're not growing up around people that are telling you, you can do better, you can, you can. You're coming from people that are pointing fingers at you if you get good grades in school because you're a nerd. You know, you're coming from people who are trying to get you to come down a different path. And so the vision is that we can change that, that people from those council estates, people from, you know, ethnic minority backgrounds, people from all sorts of, you know, tough reality backgrounds, as we term it, can be given not only the confidence, but the training to be those leaders. And then we'll see huge change because the people that are running the show will be reflecting the people that they're serving. So talk to me, Emmanuel, about the reality of why Alito is needed, because there are still pockets within business, within politics, within every part of society that will say, everyone's got the chance now. Modern Britain, we've all got the same chance. Tell me why that's not right. Yeah, I think, and you know, so I found this, so Ken Alisa, who founded the organisation, says this quite well. He he grew up in the early 90s, well, I'm not going to say exactly when, because he'll probably kill me if I screw up. Grew up a, a, quite a couple of years ago, a few decades ago, with the kind of challenges and the kind of race issues that fortunately most of us wouldn't experience today, with income levels not being where they are today and with disparity being even even further apart. From a single parent household, council estate, went on to Cambridge, then went on to, to IBM, served on the board and has had an f- amazing career, now works quite closely with the Queen. And so what he would say, and this is something I, I take on quite, quite strongly, is that in terms of equal opportunities and in terms of the ability to make that push, that is available for anyone. And one of our strengths as a country is that's available. The challenge is that the opportunities can be there. However, if the language used, if the skills taught, if the encouragement isn't given to young people from less involved backgrounds when we're talking about decision making, they're not going to be pushing into these positions. At the same time, we've got a lot of young people who, when they do push through that barrier and step into the workplace, can experience a whole range of, you know, challenges, a range of, you know, whether it's microaggressions or even just, you know, overt words of racism or of classism or, or whatever it is. And that does happen. And now if we're expecting everyone that hears that to just brush, the, brush it off their shoulder and then push on, then may, maybe we'd see a huge change. But actually, people don't work like that, unfortunately. And most of the time, if you're, as a foundation, we work with a lot of young people who we expect to be the pioneers because you're coming from a background where most people aren't going to where you're going. It's going to be tough. And we do our work to try and keep people in that and help inspire them to push on, but make our job a bit easier by you know making the, the workplace and the working environment more friendly, more accommodating for people who, you know, don't might not feel like they belong. That's you know the reality of it. So work definitely does have to be done on on both sides. 
you talked there about building resilience within the young people, the young professionals that Alito work with. Tell me more about what Alito does and the programmes that you run. Our mission statement is to share success with tomorrow's leaders. And so we take leaders of today, connect them with those who we've identified can be leaders of tomorrow if they're given that confidence, if they're given the social capital, and if they're taught about what leadership looks like. Those three things. So Natasha, I don't know if you were planning to mention this, but you're one of our amazing mentors on our mentoring program, both yourself and Dan. And so you're mentoring people that have come through our leadership programs and then have been paired up with a professional mentor with the leader. And the aim is so we can take people like you, connect you with young people that you can then have relationships with. You can learn from them about some of their challenges and also about how you as a business leader can change your workplace or develop your workplace to be more accommodating, have more leaders like that coming through. Also for them to learn from you and your experience, any challenges you might have overcome. I mean, you're a a female leader within recruitment, which is an amazing, amazing thing. And we need more of that. And we want more of our young people to see how people like yourself pioneer and break through and stick in and make sure that your qualities are recognized. So that's largely what we do. Leadership programs, workshops and mentoring, but connecting today's leaders with tomorrow's leaders. Thank you for mentioning that. I'm actually coming to the end of my first year as a mentor. It's a cracking programme. I've genuinely really enjoyed this year. I've seen firsthand how great the actual mentoring programme is, the support that it gives to mentors and mentees to get it right. And I've genuinely really enjoyed getting to know my mentee this year, Grace, who is a remarkable young woman and who has massively inspired me this year as well. It's been a a really, really lovely time to get to know her. As an alumni of Alito yourself, how important and impactful was the Alito programme to you personally? Yeah, great question. Hugely impactful. I mean, even before I answer, I'm really glad to hear that you had an amazing experience on the programme. That's exactly what we're (laughs) looking for. For me, it was hugely, hugely, hugely important. So even though I had, you know, I spoke about, you know, the kind of turning point I had at around 16, I did the Elite Leadership Program when I was 18, going on 19, I think. And that was also a huge turning point because that was the first time that I'd really been told professionally that I can change the world around me. So all of the, you know, the charity work that I've done, the trustee work that I've done, the various things I've done, a lot of that came from that message I received. It's one thing to be told that though, it's another thing to then be taught about what makes a leader. So understanding your own leadership competence or how or how you add value as a leader. So myself, I'm more of a strategic thinker. I'm not the most detail orientated. I'm not the most creative. So I'm not going to come up with the next internet or the, but when you, you come with the idea, I'll put the steps in place that will make it happen and think a lot more strategically, or at least give that strategic plan and then work with people to implement. How do you then work with someone who is more detail-orientated? So when I'm talking about all my high-level strategy and they're getting bored because they want to know about the nuts and bolts, I need to learn how to communicate with that person. Or when somebody's coming with that creative vision and I'm getting really bored because I need to know how we're going to make it happen, I need to know how to communicate with that person. So understanding how you add value as a leader and then how you make things actually happen how you actually influence was really important and I've not received that in a lot of workplaces that I've I've been involved in many places you come in you're trained for the job and you're expected to do the job but if you want to hold people long term 
And if you want to really get the best out of them, you've got to help them start thinking longer term for themselves. There was a study done by Deloitte a couple of years ago, and they said that 63% of millennials don't believe that their leadership skills are being developed. So how are we going to get leaders? <laughs> Where are they going to come from? We just expect that when the chief exec is ready to retire, there's going to be a long list of people waiting to take that position. Well, how? <laughs> you know, unless you're, you're cultivating that. And um, one of our trustees, Gary Eldon, is a perfect, I know he's been on the podcast before, is a perfect example of, of the kind of journey that Alito is aiming to put young people on. And I also see myself on actually that. He came from, you know, not, not so much of a privileged background, didn't have many contacts, but had a lot of tenacity and, and, and passion. Went into one industry, didn't work out, shifted into another, then got into recruitment. So Gary works out, runs his own business, comes back, becomes chief exec of a global PLC changing the face of leadership you know someone from a different background being involved at that seat and is now a trustee helping Alito do more of that so that's and that doesn't happen a lot it doesn't happen a lot and that's why it's important for us to to do that and we want to work alongside business to do that we'll come back to program one in just a second before we do I want to talk to you about some of the organizations that Alito partner with now UBT, Avanard, some of the ones that spring to mind Alito only works if you partner with great organizations and great leaders, if people are prepared to take the time to invest back, right? So what are the main ways companies and individuals can work with Alito and make a difference through the foundation? Yeah, that's a great question. So since I, I joined Alito in 2020, I joined and that was you know largely to build a new a new corporate strategy was our main focus. How can we work better with business to, you know, obviously increase the resources we have, the funding we have, also have more people that can step in and help us do more of that leadership development work. There's a bunch of great leaders that we've not met yet. How can we get in touch with them? And that was the aim. One of the things that we said from the very start was, if you're looking to give money to tick a box, we're not the charity for you. So that was one thing, you know, and we, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter protest took place shortly afterwards. There was a lot of that going on, a lot of, oh, my gosh, we don't want to be left behind. Let's find the black charity and then do something. We're not the charity for that. If you're looking for we actually want to invest in leaders. We actually want to give use our people's time to invest in leaders. And we're looking for the right charity partner to do that. We are your charity. We are the, the team to work with. And so companies, you know, you've mentioned a few, obviously Amoria Bond, one of our, a great partner, not just from the, the mentoring as well, but also from just spreading awareness for the encouragement that, you know, it makes a huge impact. So the extra, the kind of non-tangible support you give is really, really key. But if you're looking to dedicate your people's time, so we want to lead a workshop, we want to mentor, we also want to learn though. So can we get a group of young people together at a round table and ask them questions so that we can be thinking better about if we want to position ourselves for a younger generation, how do we do that? That's another way we can get involved. We want to be involved in actually sponsor or host a leadership program. We want a group of 25, 40, 60 young people coming together to A, learn more about our business, B, see our people being involved in their development. You know, that's also really important. So we always think about synergistic relationships. You're trying to achieve something and we fully get it. Companies want people, <laughs> you know, businesses need talent. We fully understand it. We've got a group of young people that want opportunities. So it's a quid pro quo that works well. That was always from the beginning, the part of that corporate strategy. So let's talk about Programme One then. It's an initiative that Amoria Bond and Alita are both involved with. 
as part of a group of like-minded founding member organizations that are working together, unheard of in recruitment, let's be honest, but working together to tackle inequalities and remove barriers that we hope will attract, will retain and allow us to progress more black people in the industry. What are the kind of barriers, do you think? And I know we've touched on a few already within the conversation, but what are the kind of barriers that are preventing black professionals from coming into industries like recruitment? Yeah, so with, with all of these things, you've got traction, you've got retention. Those are two you know, big things to think about. When it comes to attraction, and this is something that's often not spoken about, but I think I do believe that the biggest barriers actually start with the gap between the industry and the desires of a lot of black talent's parents and, and family backgrounds and, and perspectives about recruitment. So I can speak about my experience. I'm from West African migrant parents. So mum was born in the UK, but lived in Ghana. Dad born in Sierra Leone, lived in Nigeria. They both came to the UK for stability, to basically improve the living experience for their kids. They came for stability. They didn't come for entrepreneurship. Both of my parents have done really well to work up from where they have. Even when we were poor, I didn't feel poor because of their um, hard work. But so when they're passing on the expectations to the next generation, they're talking about, we want you to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. Some of these blockbuster roles and, and jobs that sound like security. And so they're not encouraging people to push into recruitment. They're not encouraging people to, recruitment doesn't even come into the, the conversation. I know that people from any background, most people don't think about recruitment. But then when you talk about, you know, recruitment, some people might not have the parents pushing them away as others might do. Definitely happens quite a lot in the, quite a few, I won't speak for all, but quite a few black households. So that already puts recruitment at a disadvantage to attract people who are equally as hardworking, tenacious and ambitious as the rest, because they're not thinking about that, that industry. Then you've got when people do start to think, okay, well, recruitment, maybe I can, maybe there is a level of security and actually think more of that greater potentials for growth and development and people come in. If you're a minority in that environment, then you're coming into an environment where there could easily be certain habits, certain thoughts, certain perspectives about you by people who have never met you in person and may have only seen you, someone that looks like you on the TV in music videos or, you know, in the newspaper. And so you could easily step into an environment where people will say things or think things that just completely ex exclude you or put you as another. And so staying in that environment and pushing on is not something that's easy to come by. It takes a lot of tenacity and determination to stick it out. Now, I don't want to paint every company as, you know, terrible place to work because I'm sure that's not the case. And I'm sure for the majority, when people step in from different backgrounds, you know, it's a very welcoming place, or I'm sure that if there's certain, you know, jokes or comments that are made, they're not made with the intention to be offensive. I'm sure that's the case. But those are some of the challenges that we're facing, where you've got the attraction piece, you're already at a disadvantage. But then the retention, it's like being a, a guy doing ballet, for example. It's just, you know, an environment where there aren't many people that do that. And it's not saying that you're not welcome there, but the environment might not be the most accommodating place for you because we're not expecting that. And so those are some of the things that, you know, companies need to be thinking about to hold on to the very few that are already coming in. But maybe there's something needs to be done about the messaging, you know, of, of why somebody should. And I actually do think more people should be involved in recruitment in the first place.
well, obviously, so do I. I'm not going to disagree with you there. <laughs> it's a great industry. Yeah. Just coming back on a point you made there, though, you've talked about the importance of training and development and leadership training for young people. Turning that on its head, actually, and in the contents of what what you've just been talking about there in terms of the environment, the comments, the things that may happen within a working working day, how important do you think it is for organisations to take responsibility for educating their staff to help contribute towards making those working environments more inclusive in the way that you've just described? I think that you've got to be quite careful with that because in with the desire to want to help, you can easily reinforce certain like stereotypes or you could easily reinforce or paint the picture of an issue that might not be present. So you've got to be careful with how much you try and preempt that and I'd say think more about supporting when it does come along, when it does happen. So I'll give an example. My first job after graduation was in sales. So similar to what a lot of junior recruiters would be doing, I was selling tech software to architecture, engineering and construction space. I remember within the first week when I'd gotten the phones, there was a, a customer that I'd, uh, I'd called or a client that I'd called just to introduce myself as a new account manager. Within an hour, he then called back to my manager and said to him, Never let Emmanuel call me again. I didn't enjoy that conversation. I don't like the way that he sounds and I don't like speaking to him. Wow. Like the conversation didn't go that bad, at least from my perspective. Now I've got no idea what his thoughts were, but just the way that he said that gave me a strong indication that there's something about me that he's, 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 he's judging me based on. And my manager, you know, heard that and said, <clears throat> he could have taken it two ways. One, he could have heard that and said, okay, Emmanuel, don't call him again. You're the issue. Let's just try and switch around. Instead, he chose to take a different approach where he said, Emmanuel, look, I know you. You're a great person, respectable person. Don't know what his issue is. If there's a training need, we'll uncover it. But it happens, you know, onto the next one and showed a lot of support, a lot of support. And so I came away from that thinking that client is just a, a crappy person and I'm going to carry on. Instead of, if my manager did paint me out to be the issue, coming away from it thinking the world is out to get me. Two very different outcomes. One kept me in the business. The other would have definitely pushed me away. Now, these are some of the things that people might encounter, especially with recruitment. I mean, you're on the phones a lot, talking to people who, I mean, now we've got Zoom and stuff, but if you're you know, cold calling especially, people can only really make their judgment. We talk a lot about tone and pace and speech. And people can only really make their judgments off you based on what they hear. And unfortunately, some people make some really nasty judgments because of what they do hear. And as a manager, you want to be able to support your staff if that happens. So you might be aware that it could happen to certain staff because of, let's say, the color of their skin, let's say the, the twang in their speech. So you might want to be aware of it. But before you step in and say, look, when you call your clients, they're going to judge you because of X, Y, Z, just be willing to support if it does happen. I really love the example you've given there and it just really highlights the importance of of the leadership style and of actually supporting in the moment and kind of I guess that phrase putting your money where your mouth is and actually backing your people that is so powerful really isn't it for anybody Mm -hmm. before we wrap up just turning the tables now I've retired you're hosting the podcast. <laughs> you are now the new host of the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast. Who would be your dream guest to join you on the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast to talk about 
their progression journey and their insights into progressing the lives of others? Wow, that is a good question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> good question. Do you know what? I would need to reach out to Claude Williams oh, first. Okay. Well, he did the first ever leadership program back in 2011. And as far as I'm aware, is the first Alito alumni to become a board executive before the age of 30, I believe, right at the age of 30, quite a large NHS trust. And I say this because I mentioned that specifically because I spoke to him on the phone a couple of years ago. We keep in touch quite a bit, really inspirational person. He's helped me out a lot in various ways. And he said to me, I'm making sacrifices now so that when I'm 30, I can be a board exec. I can be a Ned. So he said that to me when he was, you know, about four years ago. And you hear that and you think, wow, that's amazing, inspiring. And then you forget, you know, you go on with your business, you carry on. And then one day you come onto LinkedIn and you see Claude Williams has started a new position as, you know, and then, and then you see the board role. And for someone to be that disciplined and dedicated to a goal at quite a young age and hit it exactly when they said they would, made the sacrifices he knew he'd have to make, you know, that for me was a kind of patience and perseverance. I don't see from a lot of young people. I don't see that a lot. A lot of people want the now, now, now. And he was able to say, look, I'm making sacrifices now for then. Hugely inspiring for me. And I know he's got a lot more to say. So it would be Claude Williams. <laughs> right. Claude Williams, expect my call. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be trying to get him on this podcast then. <laughs> Emmanuel, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for giving up your time. Thank you for joining us, being such an open and a brilliant guest on the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the experience as well. Yeah, I have done. Thank you for having me. Very welcome. Thanks, Emmanuel. Thank you for listening to Progressing Lives Everywhere, brought to you by Moria Bond. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others find the podcast. For more information on Amoria Bond's specialist services and to access the podcast show notes, head over to amoriabond.com. Join us next time as we continue to progress lives everywhere.